Hey everybody and welcome to the Powell Not Found podcast. This is uh, for the week of uh, February 3rd, 2024. We're talking Live to 100, uh, the Dan Butner documentary. We're doing some podcasts in the middle of a snowstorm coming up next. Let's hit it. And thank you everybody for joining the uh, Powell Not Found podcast on this very weird record date where currently it is snowing pretty heavily outside where I am in Colorado, but still determined to report, record a podcast for you guys. Uh, that should tell you about the level of commitment that I've got for this show, that even in a blizzard, I'm recording a podcast. I'm like the NFL of podcasters, rain or shine, or uh, I'm, I'm playing, I'm recording. It's, uh, I'm the Buffalo Bills Mafia, uh, of podcasters. Nothing's going to stop me, except no fans came this time to shovel the snow that I'm currently walking through. Um, it's whipping sideways into my face. So this might be a shorter episode than most. Um, anyways, out here in Colorado, just doing some, uh, uh, you know, family visit time and, uh, and went out here uh, early last week, and uh, want to talk some. I want to talk some uh, some live to one hundred. I got a lot of time on the plane to catch up on some documentaries that I wanted to, and one of them, and I may be late to the party with this, is Dan Butner's live to one hundred. Dan Butner was uh, he's a documentarian now, I guess you could say, but he would study longevity. And in, in um, around the world, um, and basically went out on a quest to find what made people centenarians live so long. Was it their diet? Was it their exercise? Was it their stress? And uh, my mom actually recommended me watching this, uh, and I took her up on it just because I'm again. I think I mentioned in the previous episode. I'll eat. These documentaries up. These things will be will be. Uh... Sorry, the snow. These things basically intrigue me. I always feel like the documentary gives you a better feeling on uh, life than when you're watching them. I, I always feel this documentaries make you feel better as you watch them. I know you're technically not doing anything. Technically, you're always doing the opposite of what you intend to do. Be sedentary. But these documentaries, I think, instill something in you that make you go on a walk when it's technically a snowstorm in Colorado and make you record a podcast for viewers like you. Anyways, I'm not jaded at all. Um, <laughs> The I watched the documentary. They went to a, a number of different places, Sardinia. Uh, they went to California. Uh, so all these places that they visited, there are very distinctly different. But they all seem to have the four things in common. And it really comes down to, again, the same four things that all documentaries about health bring you to which is 
healthy action, healthy active lifestyle, what you eat, family being close, and a sense of purpose. And it is really interesting to see these commonalities manifest in different ways. I believe it was Hari Uchi I believe. I probably butchered that pronunciation. But one of the places, I think, near Singapore, I could be getting this wrong. Because, again, remember, I'm walking in the middle of a snowstorm and podcasting. That they all try to make sure that they know why they're waking up each day. They know what they're doing. They know they've given themselves a sense of purpose. And I think other studies have shown that that sense of purpose helps people remain vibrant, helps people ward off things like dementia and other diseases because they know what they're doing each day. I've even felt it with this podcast. I mean, I know the podcast is not super successful right now, but but still, it's given me a purpose every Sunday to work on something artistic, and that's got to be releasing some sort of serotonin in the old bloodstream. So it's four episodes long, this documentary. They're about 45 minutes. It's a really quick watch. And unlike the past documentary that we reviewed, You Are What You Eat, it's not it's not as scientific or lab-like like You Are What You Eat presented the data. This is purely, really, anecdotal study from this guy gathering his anecdotal research and discovering and surmising what keeps people living in a stress-free life, mission, healthy, active, and a good diet always seems to help out. So I highly recommend seeing this seen this film, it made the plane ride disappear, and uh, and it was a, a great watch, so go watch that documentary, Whew. the storm is picking up, now, I redirected the direction that I was walking, so that the snow wasn't hitting me in the face. And the universe must have picked up on that because the, the wind changed directions immediately and now it's pelting me in the face. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back. We'll talk to Jim Gaff again and we'll talk some sports. And then we'll probably close out because, again, I'm podcasting in a snowstorm. All right. Let's take a break. And we're back. Uh, again, walking the opposite direction, back towards refuge. Uh, this snowstorm does remind me of being a kid a little bit, just trudging through the snow to get to the bus on time. Uh, I grew up in New Hampshire, New England. And we would get pelted year after year with snow. And... Uh, when we moved out of there, one of the nice feelings 
of moving out of New Hampshire was never having to deal with the snowstorm ever again, but and never having to trudge through it. My bus stop would be, I want to say a quarter of a mile away, maybe half a mile. Half a mile sounds like more like those, you know, elderly people saying they trekked, they trekked through a mile of gravel with no shoes on. Sounds more like that, like a fable. But it was about a quarter mile to the bus stop. And it was always like a 50-50 shot, whether that bus was going to get stuck when it turned around to head back to the school on the ice patch that had assuredly developed on a downward slope on the bus route. It was, it was always an adventure. And frankly, some masterful driving, probably. Um, you know, taking a bus that size through those icy patches in New Hampshire. And they knew how to plow, too. And they knew how to sand. It wasn't like when I moved down south that I started seeing a light dusting and people abandoning their cars. That was a, quite the surprise. I was like, I, I wouldn't be that dramatic about it. But, uh, but it is nice. It's always nice to feel the nice compact feeling of snow underneath your snow boots walking around here. Um, let me get on the sidewalk here because this I just realized I'm walking on the road. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about Jim Gaffigan's Barely Alive tour? Uh, Do you like that segue? Uh, this is the second time I've seen Jim Gaffigan live. Went to go see him at the Daughters of the American Revolution in Washington, D.C. Um, and uh, had uh, was very excited to go see him again. I'd seen him once before. He did a great job. I think you forget uh, how funny he is uh, delivering uh, these fairly simple concepts to you just in, the, in a hilarious manner, which I think is just the most scientific definition of comedy ever that just came out of my mouth. So went to go see him again. It was a sparse stage. Uh, the, there wasn't any kind of big set. The opener was actually fantastic. And uh, it reminded me of doing comedy in New York. And that, and I realized that when you go to Jim Gaffigan, you don't have any of the reservations of that you might when you go see other comedy shows. The hesitation and the feeling of being terrified that the comic is going to point you out. It is purely, and I don't want to say family fun, because that kind of takes away the teeth of what he's saying. It's it's just a fun, good show. It's You can lay back, relax. You know you're going to have a good time. I don't think Jim really talked to anybody in the audience. It was just a straight monologue for about an hour and ten minutes. Great jokes went on about parenting for a long time. As a, a father of five kids, I could only imagine why. And uh, and I and and I loved it. I think that's it's the power of clean comedy. There, right? They uh, when I was doing comedy, they would say, "If you want to get on TV, you got to be clean." And Jim Gaffigan is that model, uh, you know, along with. Jerry Seinfeld, Nate Pergazzi. If you can do comedy like that, and you can do it consistently, and get an audience to listen to you actively, you're going to be in good shape. Um, the opener again, just touching back on that, was that it was really good. 
um, kind of a cold crowd to begin with, but he warmed them up, he warmed us up very quickly. Uh, and all around good show. If, if he's in your area, go see that show. Um, it is a good time. It's a good night out. It's short. I got possibly the greatest parking spot outside the Daughters of American Revolution in D.C., right next to the theater. So I was in and out very, very quickly. Um, but it was a good show to good show to bring your kids and family. There were a couple teenagers uh, sitting right next to us. They seem to be having a good time. So whatever you might hear about comedians that are a little bit older not translating to a younger generation, it's just not true with Jim Gaffigan. He is funny. It's just the definition of funny to me. So go see that show. It's happy to see a show. It's not very often I feel like I go to see comedy live because of that feeling of getting picked on. But this show, obviously a professional show, this show is one that you should not stop to see. Anyway, let's take one more break, and then we'll wind down in this snowstorm. And we'll talk, we'll talk some sports. Okay. Let's hit it. And we're back with the podcast. Again, the podcast is the Powell Not Found podcast, hosted by me, Mark Powell. Uh, and a disclaimer, since I'm traveling, I had to record this way. I want to make it clear to the viewers, anybody tuning in, this is not normally how I podcast in a snowstorm under the elements, but this is how we're <laughs> this is how we're doing it this week. Uh, in uh, sports news, I know the Super Bowl's coming up. Uh, everybody got their uh, wish, if their wish was the Super Bowl we saw a couple years ago <laughs> in the 49ers and the Chiefs. That Chiefs-Ravens game was kind of painful to watch. Lamar Jackson, for being the highest-paid quarterback in the league, certainly didn't look like the highest-paid quarterback in the league in that game. It just felt like they were completely overmatched and some bad decisions all around from the Ravens to just lose the game. I mean, you know, fumble through the end zone. Again, deja vu all over again with that build game. You can't really help that. That was just a good play. And the rule is what the rule is. Kind of a little harsh to think of it, but it depends on what your team you're rooting for, right? Like if you're if you're rooting for the Bills, you love that rule. If you're rooting for the Ravens, you're cursing that rule right now going into the offseason. Um that was a little bit unfortunate. But one of the things that stood out to me in that Ravens game was the taunting. Like yeah, your your team is on a drive trying to get back in this game. And you're down, what, 14 at the time? You know, maybe it was maybe it was 21. I can't even remember. But the guy haunts, stands over the other player, taunts him, and they're put back 10, 15 yards. I don't get it. That's like getting blown out in baseball, 21 nothing, and you hit a solo home run, and you decide to flex at the plate. Like, it doesn't... It's so out of place in that situation. The players 
have to stop giving the Chiefs more opportunities to score. They have to, if they want to stop Patrick Mahomes in this offense, they have to stop doing stupid things like that on the field. And that is just 101. You know, moreover than the Bills kicker wide, right? Moreover than a fumble in the end zone by the Ravens. That should be the thing that the player thinks about going into this offseason. And again, I'd give you that player's name if I wasn't walking through a snowstorm doing a podcast. So, <laughs> so anywho, um, in baseball news, Corbin Burns trades to the Orioles for prospect package and bolstering that Orioles pitching. The Orioles needed pitching. They had a young rotation, and they needed somebody to to uh, support Bradish in the rotation. They are looking like a formidable force to contend with for a long, long time. And uh, the Orioles building their team very similarly to the way the Houston Astros did, which was five straight years of losing. This might give you 10 straight years of winning. And uh, by getting all those draft picks, it just seems like they are the heavyweight in the division to contend with. And the MLB owners, especially Brian Cashman and Al Steinbrenner, would repeat the same line that the regular season is a crapshoot. Excuse me, the play, playoffs are a crapshoot. The regular season, you just have to survive. But you want to build that confidence on your team. And building that confidence means winning that division. If you're coming in as a second wild card, you really thinking as a team that you can take the World Series? Do you really think that you're the strongest team going in? And right now, the Baltimore Orioles seem like a strong, strong team to contend with. Also, a team that might have a new influx of cash uh, after selling for billions. Uh, I want to say the number was $1.2 billion. And again, I'd give you that number if I wasn't podcasting in a snowstorm. They sold their team, but so it'll be interesting to see what changes are made to the Baltimore Orioles. Obviously, Camden Yards boasts one of the most beautiful parks in the MLB at one point. Maybe it's not at that point anymore. So it'll be interesting to see what they do to invest in that team to make it better. If it's just investing in players or if it's investing in the new term lease that was signed that put the Orioles back in Baltimore for 30 years. As a Yankees fan, I'm very concerned because you have the Orioles who seem like they're a very young, talented team. You have the Rays who seem to have cracked the code when it comes to good analytic baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays you know, once they're done hiring every former player's son to play on their team, they still have a strong lineup. And the Red Sox, the poor Red Sox for the last couple of years have been struggling, but you don't know when they can go on a run. I mean, if I'm getting my years correct, I believe 2017 was also misery for the Red Sox. And the next year, they won the World Series. So you never really can count Boston out. 
Uh, everyone's blaming ownership over there, but but hey, Boston knows how to build a good team. Boston has plenty of World Series titles in the last 20 years. They'll bounce back. Yankees got to make a move. They got to get one, one more pitcher to bolster that rotation because I still, I think that they're depending too much on these bounce back years for these players. That maybe, just maybe, are signaling that they need to move on from. Anywho, that will do it probably for the show. I know it's a short one. We'll be back next Sunday with a more prepared one. And one that's not within the elements. But I wanted to get one out and get one uploaded just so that we'd keep the same 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 uh, track record here, same schedule. So anyway, guys, thanks for joining. And uh, that's the show in a snowstorm in Colorado. See you next week.